Alright, we're going to have a good time as we study the Bible. Now here's the deal today with Masterclass. I'll bring you up to speed. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot. Hey, online people, we love you. We are glad you're here with us. We see you. People in the court. Hey, make noise for all the other folks joining us online, in the courtyard, wherever else they may find themselves. Guys, we're glad you're here. Give me a moment to get my act together, and I promise this is going to be a great Sunday morning. Okay, so here's what you need to know about Philippians Masterclass. We decided coming back out of the pandemic, regathering as a church family, one thing we're going to get right is we are going to be a church that is firmly planted in the Word of God. We believe in the Bible. We believe its truth. We believe God spoke this. We believe when this gets into your heart and soul, you come alive and learn what truly living is. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray before we dive into the Word, and then we're just going to eat this for breakfast this morning, be filled and go and live everything out that God has called us to do. So let's pray. Uh, God and Father, uh, there is no one like you. We just pray that as we sit down today that we would have an encounter, not with a guy talking and telling stories and not with some, some, some tricks or tips or things that are slick. God, we pray that it would be nothing other than you showing up and feeding us through your word this morning. And so, Lord, I just know if anything good is going to come from these moments together, it is going to be because of your power. And so, God, I'm just asking you uh, to fill me, fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the book of Philippians, tearing it apart chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We haven't even made it through a chapter yet. We're four weeks in. The idea here is we're studying the Bible, but we're also, as we go, learning how to study the Bible. So when you leave this place, go from here and open up the Bible on your own. You can take the things we're learning about how to study it, open up the Word in your own home, and have it make sense to you and fill you there as well. I will continue to tell you, if Sunday is the only Bible and word and truth you are getting, you are going to starve to death week to week. So, so don't let this be the only time. You can open this any day of the week, any time, any place. Uh, book of James is a great place to start if you're just trying to get a hold of this. You can open something like the book of James or a version plan and be fed where you are, as you are. It works in church and it works wherever you are. The Word of God is just that good. So we've been journeying through this letter. We said it is a real letter sent by an apostle named Paul to the Philippian church. Paul has been following Jesus. He ends up imprisoned for sharing the name of Jesus. He's writing from prison to this church that he planted. And we looked at the way that he introduces himself to them. He tells this church he's praying for them. He says, I'm in jail, but don't worry about me. Because whether I live or I die, my life counts for Christ. He says, church, I'm good. For me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. We covered that last week. It's all on YouTube. You can go back and find it if you missed it. And I'm going to take you, we got a lot of work to do today. I'm going to take you uh, to chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Let's roll. Philippians 1, verse 27. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one, as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. 
This will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you, hold on to this, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I have and, he, and here now that I still have. Let me take you to 1987. There was a young boxer by the name of Terrell Biggs. Terrell Biggs made the Olympic team, won Olympic gold the year before, and then started his career as a professional boxer. He takes off to a quick 15-0. His te technique and his plans and well-implemented game plan and his polished boxing style causes him to win 15 fights in a row, 10 of them by knockout. This also puts him on a collision course with a young menace from New York City named Mike Tyson. Tyson at the time is 30-0, ripping other boxers to shreds, and it becomes obvious that as Tyson has unified three boxing titles and Biggs is on his way from Olympic gold medal to undefeated 15-0, 10 by knockout, these two now have to fight. And this time was a great era in boxing, if you were a boxing fan. And, and there are so many great heavyweight title fights in this time. And build-up is at an all-time high around Tyson and build-up now rising around Biggs. They start talking to these guys to build the fight up with, uh, with the both of them. And an interviewer leading up to fight week talks to Biggs and he goes, aren't you scared of Tyson? I mean, look what he's doing to everyone. No one can touch him. It, it seems like he's untouchable. He's dropping everybody. There's magic in his hands. And Big says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Tyson's never fought someone like me. And he talks to the reporter and he says, I'm going to keep him at distance with my jab. All that power is going to get nowhere near me. He goes, I've been working with my coaches and we have a plan. And this plan will undo Tyson once and for all. And, and this reporter, kind of like myself, likes to stir the pot every now and then. So he goes over to Tyson later that week and he says, Tyson, you got this fight coming up with Biggs. And Biggs says that he's not scared of you at all. And he says that you've never fought anybody like him ever. And guess what, Mike? He says he's got a plan. Tyson looks at the reporter and in one line says back to this reporter what would probably go down as the greatest Mike Tyson quote of all time. He looks at the reporter dead in the eyes and he says, Sir, everyone has a plan until they get hit. And if I could give our little section in Scripture a title, if I was trying to give you a theme for our verse today, it would simply be, everyone has a faith until they get hit. I want you to pay careful attention to our words in the text today. They promise us that we will experience suffering and pain in our lives. Let me run it back to you. Paul says this to this group. I, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who what? Oppose you. This will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For Check this out. Don't miss this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer 
for him. Did you catch that? Hey, Kendall, I'm going to draw here in a minute. Can you hook me up with a whiteboard? Let me give you some warm-up words on suffering before we get going. These are a few quick hits. This is the message before the message. Here's the first thing we got to get on this. Hard doesn't mean bad. Hard does not mean bad. When life gets hard and troublesome and problematic and there's hang-ups, it does not mean bad. We have to get out of our heads once and for all that when things get tough or when there's haters or when there's opposition, that God's gone and we're doing something wrong. Hard actually, most times, if you were to read Scripture, means you're doing something right. When there are haters present and they're trying to stop you from going and doing and becoming everything God made you to be, it usually means you're on the right track. With our staff team, when things get hard or some hate, I got markers in the back pocket. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the, Can we say thank you to Kendall today? My goodness. He's just out here working. He's like, I just came to church, man. You got me running around here. Hard ain't bad. Heart is usually a sign you are doing something right. Can I encourage you today and tell you if there's some haters in your midst, it probably means you're on the right track. If you feel resistance and you're like, why is this hard? Why does this feel like I'm walking against a current or trying to swim upstream? It means you are swimming the right direction. Uh, number two, this is message before. Oh my gosh, we're not going to make We're going to get through like half of this today, you guys. Don't worry about it. Number two, bad things happen to good people. Bad things. Let's not even waste time this morning going, why do bad things? I'm doing everything right. I'm living good. Time out. At the center of our faith is a cross and a crucified Savior. On the cross, the worst thing ever happened to the best person ever. At the center of our faith, the worst thing imaginable or possible happened to the best person ever. And then he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, follow me. So on the question, do bad things happen to good people or how could they? They happen to our Savior and they will happen to us. Number three, and this is good, this, we're going to jump off of this one. When I know what I'm going through, and how to respond in faith, my pain can lead me to God's purposes. When you have an understanding of what you're experiencing when you suffer, and you know how to respond in faith, your pain can produce God's purposes in your life. And I want you to think on that for a minute. Pain is guaranteed. Our verse says it was granted to you on behalf of Christ Jesus that you will experience pain, but you get to choose what that pain will lead to. You get to choose if that pain will grind you down and wear out your faith, or if that pain, used by God's purposes, will propel you into everything he made you to be. So time out, here's what we're doing today. We're doing a theology of pain. We're getting our God thought right and our Bible right on pain. We're going to do the different kinds of pain we're going to experience and how we respond to them. You, you glad you woke up early and got your kids out here? We're doing pain this morning and, and it's going to be a real great treat for everybody. So don't, don't worry. This, you're going to be so glad you came by the time 
time we get through this, but there are going to be four types of pain and suffering that you encounter in your life on earth. But if you can identify them, know what you're going to, and respond in faith, that pain can lead you to the purposes of God. So if you're a note taker, we're going to start, we're just going to make one of these right in the middle, uh, a little X or something like this, like this, like this. I got a backup marker so we can do this. We'll start in the top right, right here. And we'll say the first type of pain you'll experience is the pain of a broken and fallen world. We live in a broken and fallen world. If you've ever looked around the world or seen what's going on, maybe in your life personally or in the lives of people you know, if you've ever put on the news and just seen all of the chaos that surrounds us and thought, this is not how things are supposed to be, you would be absolutely right. We live in a broken and fallen world. If you know your Bible, it begins in the book of Genesis and it begins with the story of God creating all that there is and sky, scar, star, skies, moon, animals, plants, living beings. He creates a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. He places them in a garden and he blesses them and he gives them work to do and he makes a promise to them and he says if you follow me and live within my order and live as I've designed you to live and live as I've designed creation to function then you will be blessed in doing it and as you are blessed I'll be with you and I'll be your God and there's this great promise that happens between them and that lasts all of three chapters till the man and the woman rebel and in that moment the world becomes cursed Genesis 3, God is speaking to them about the curse that's about to fall on all of creation. It says, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food and from it all the days of your life and it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust to dust you will return and since this moment in creation everything has been subject to brokenness depravity and futility. This is why there's famine. This is why there's war, death, oppression, cancer, miscarriage, disabilities, depression, mental illness, drug addiction, and every other malady that has ever plagued humanity goes back to this moment in time. Jesus himself talked about Satan and he called him the ruler of this world. And if you've ever looked around culture and felt like it is just tipped 
towards evil and tipped towards wrong and things are sliding ever so slowly in the wrong direction and with all of our thought and with all of our knowledge and science, we cannot stop the painful slide of creation into disintegration and chaos. It is because this ruler has, this world has a ruler. Satan, for some reason that I don't know, was given a measure of authority here on earth and it shows. Jesus himself said the words, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, right here, right now, that is broken and fallen, you're going to have trouble. And Jeremy and I were having a talk about this, and he said so wisely, this is why it's not just in cancer and war and these big things. This is why people work jobs they don't like. This is why you've been disappointed before. This is why you've poured your whole heart into something and it didn't work out the way that it was supposed to. This is why there's been all kinds of other problems. This is why lies happen. This is why you've been disappointed before. This is why you've had moments in your life where you're like, I I gave this my all. And it didn't go how I wanted. It's because we live in a broken and fallen world. Right below there, we could talk about how we're going to be affected by the sins of others. We live in a world where people sin, where people live outside the will of God. And when people sin, other people get hurt. Catch that, right? Sins in church and Bible and Jesus language, sins are not, you did this mean, yucky thing and God doesn't like you and he's going to slap you on the wrist now. God is against sin because sin always ends up damaging people. You could go cover to cover and you see instances of whole cultures that are given over to sin and horrible things happen to children in those cultures. You could go to the story of Joseph and he's loved by his father and his brothers are jealous and that jealousy would cause them to sell Joseph into slavery. You could go instance by instance. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone sins at some point and those sins hurt other people. When it comes to being hurt by other people for all, all of us, it is not if, it's when. It hurts to be lied to. It hurts to be lied about. It hurts to be discriminated against. It hurts when you confide in somebody and they betray your trust. It hurts when somebody abandons you. It hurts when people say things to you in a young, young childhood state that they should never, ever say. And we're all going to experience that. But we're not innocent either. There's the pain of our sin, or I'm just going to write temptation. I've struggled with this one for such a long time. I remember one of my first faith questions. Is why would God put me here on earth with all this stuff that is fun and feels so good and tell me not to do it? Why would, he, why would he place me here in a world where I'm going to be tempted to do all kinds of things that aren't good for me? Why doesn't broccoli taste like a Snickers bar and a Snickers bar taste like broccoli? Why are there some easy ways that I could alleviate my pain and my problems here on earth and yet I'm told by the scriptures that I'm not supposed to do those things? Am I the only one that's been there? 
Why? Because it's part of this broken, fractured world, and we're going to experience temptation. In the book of James, chapter 1, he writes one of the most intelligent answers to that question, actually. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away, underline it, by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, from the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. What is he saying there? He's saying that God has put a set of desires in you and me. We have a set of appetites. Those appetites are given to us by God so we can fulfill his commandment. We are to, to be fruitful and multiply. We are to fill the earth. We are to be creators and we are be, to be stewards of creation. And we have appetites that help us with that. But when those appetites are not checked by the word of God and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, they lead us to sinful places. Food and drink are good. But when I confide in food and drink to avoid other problems and not face reality or to hide from something that I may be going to or to self-medicate, they become bad things. Security. The desire to be okay. I want to have enough money to make it. And I want my kids to be safe. And I want a roof over our heads. Is a good and godly desire. But that, that goes unchecked by the word of God. And all of a sudden, it becomes my God. And I worship security. And it pushes things like generosity and love out of my life. It's become a problem. Sex is good. When it is surrendered to God and used in accordance with his divine design. But when I worship that, or when I play with that fire outside of the fire pit where God designed it to reside, things get burnt down. There's temptation. If you're struggling with temptation right now, let me offer you a word of encouragement. One of the most relatable passages in the entire Bible, in my opinion, is Romans 7. This is Paul. He is just high-level Jesus follower. I mean, I got nothing on Paul. And he's writing about the life of us here on earth, Christians included, his own self included. And he goes, I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You are not alone. Temptation is normal. And then finally, there's trials. Now, I want you to lean in for a second because this is usually where people get messed up. They're trials. Trials are, are hard things given to us by God in painful situations given to us by God or allowed by God to make us look like Jesus. And James, again, would say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. 
you know what he's saying there? There are trials, very, very hard things you are going to go through. And God is going to either allow them or bring them to you out of his love for you. Because there are some things he can only shape in you through pain. And he loves you too much to let you stay the same. In the year 2011, I had a crippling bout of anxiety and depression. I grew up in a family like we had two emotions, hungry and angry. And through a set of events I was not ready for, I was in a tailspin. I didn't think, I, not, I'm not talking like I might not make it and be a pastor one day. I did not know if I would make it through the end of the month. I was terrified. I felt like I was being destroyed. It was hell on earth. But God was in it. And I'll tell you something, the craziest thing happened. There were things, that, that was 11 years ago. There were things 11 years ago that God was shaping in me that I just realized in the last couple years. And as his son, he loved me too much to let me go into the year 2020 without some of those lessons. And you guys know this. I have pastored you for five years plus now. I mean, nine if you count the youth ministry days. And I've seen some of you guys go through unthinkable pain. But then what happened? You refused to give up. You kept walking with God. And He took that horrible moment and did something beautiful in you. And there's sometimes when God loves you so much, He'll allow you to experience this pain and these trials to keep something from destroying you later on or to keep you from destroying yourself one day. Now here's what I said. You don't only need to know there's different types of trials and okay, great, Matt, what do I do? Go get them? No, you need to know the right tools. You need to be, identify what is going on in your life at any given moment and respond appropriately. I brought tools today. And I'm a firm believer you need the right tools for the job. If I sent you, if you had a picture to hang on a wall and I said, no problem, go get it and you try and hammer the nail to hang the picture into the wall with the wrench, you're going to have drywall all over the place, the nail's not going to go, you're going to end up frustrated, and you're going to want to quit. If I said, if you said, Matt, I got a plumbing problem, what do I do? I said, no problem, go get them. You know, how am I trying to change a toilet with a hammer? I'm like, just see what happens. And you go attack the toilet with the hammer, it's not going to end well. It's going to make a mess. Can I tell you something? The same thing is true. When naive Jesus followers go running into something far bigger than themselves with the wrong tools in their hands. 
We are to be wise. Uh, Jesus himself says, you are to be wise as serpents. There's that phrase, innocent as doves and wise as serpents. The church has done a great job with innocent as doves. I am nice, I am kind, I smile, you go first. We've nailed that, but we've got to pick up on our wisdom. We've got to understand that reality is out there and it's painful, and it's real, and it waits for no one, and you have to approach it with the right tools in mind if you want to move through the pain and into the purpose that God has for you. And so I'm going to work back the way we came, mainly because when you hear what you need to do with your trials, you're going to throw up in your mouth. So we're going to handle the painful part first, and then we're going to work through what do I do with trials, what do I do with temptations, sins of others in a broken and fallen world. This, I told you, I've warned you, you're going to not like this. When you're going through trials, you need to do two things. You need to thank God and submit to the shaping. When you are going through trials, the first step is you thank God for them. James says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of every kind. In Romans 5, that is the great suffering verse. It's like we, we glory in our sufferings because one day they will lead us to hope. You are to glory in your sufferings. This one messed me up when I had anxiety. That big anxiety verse that we all love in Philippians is like, be anxious about nothing. All right, God, I got you. But in everything with prayer and petition, yeah, I'm going to be praying with prayer and petition. And what? Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. You mean I'm supposed to thank God when I'm going through something? I've been shaking my fist at God. I've cursed God. How am I supposed to thank God? You're supposed to thank God because it opens the door to freedom. Think on it like this. Anybody, you don't have to raise a hand or point at anybody. Anybody ever have a friend or a family member and you saw bitterness and resentment just ruin their life? Wouldn't it be possible if bitterness and resentment can ruin a life that thanking God and gratitude could save a life? You get this. You are literally supposed to go, God, I thank you for this. I thank you that you love me too much. I thank you that you are out there. I thank you that you're mindful of me. I feel terrible right now, but I trust you enough, and I'm saying thank you in advance for what you're going to do in me and through me through this. And then two, we hate this word as a culture, as an independent, you know, uh, idealistic people. We do not like this, but you submit to the shaping. Can you go to the first Peter verse? Where he says, humble yourselves. This is a suffering verse under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What he's saying there is with your suffering, you need to quit running from it. You need to tr quit trying to wiggle out of it. You need to quit researching it. You need to quit trying to outthink it. And you need to humble yourself before God saying, this is bigger than me, God, and you're bigger than it. And so I'm going to sit here and trust you until you deliver me. And what's the promise in Scripture? That he will lift you up in due time. How do we overcome temptation? You need confession and a plan. If you have temptation that you cannot overcome on your own, you need confession and a plan. In James, if you go to the next one for me, Luke, we see why uh, we believe in confession around here. This is promise from Scripture. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
It says there is a connection between my healing and my ability to confess my sins. I've told you guys before, I'm big on confession partners, not accountability partners. And if you've got accountability and it's working for you, I'm not knocking that, okay? The idea of accountability is i got some friends, and I tell them at the beginning of the week what I'm going through, and then, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight my temptation even harder because I told my friends. If I can't not sin because of Jesus, I'm definitely going to not not sin because of Larry. What the Bible calls me to is a confession partner. I, I, I got somebody in my life, I'll pick up the phone anytime I go, I did this this week. It's not who I am, it's not what I want to do, but I did it. And I go, God still loves you. Can I pray for you? And I walk away healed. You also need a plan. You need a plan because there's some things you cannot will out of your life with emotion and prayer. You need confession and you need a plan. If overspending is a thing for you, you've got to get Amazon off the phone. If drinking is a thing for you or pornography is a thing for you, get the alcohol out of the house. Pre-decide. Have smart you take care of later you who's going to be tempted. Switch from a laptop to a desktop and put it in the living room. Pre-decide. A plan eats good intentions for breakfast. Overcoming wounds and the sins of others. You need help. You need time. And you need boundaries. You need help. I'm talking about counseling. We, if you've been around Momentum at all, you kind of understand that mental health is a sub-theme at this church. It's something we believe in. We believe that your discipleship and your following Jesus and your emotional health go hand in hand. If you've got wounds from others... You've got to get help. Because we've said it before, when you have baggage handed to you from your past, you have two options. You can deal with that baggage or you can pass it on to those who are coming after you. When somebody's hurt you and wronged you and you've seen things or heard things you should have never seen or heard, a counselor can get you through them quicker. I'm not just talking about these big whop-down sins, I was abused by so-and-so. I'm talking like if there were just patterns in your family and they were unhealthy, and now you're watching, you're like, she always did that. I swore I never do that. And here I am doing that. And I don't want my necks and my kids and those coming after me to do that. That's enough. That's enough to go and seek good help from somebody who's going to help you end those patterns. Two, you need time. Britt and I know this one personally. I, I admire my wife because she's been through some unthinkable things and still lights up a room and you'd never even imagine some of the things she's seen or been or done through. And we've watched this journey unfold because there's these times where she's just angry. And it's like, if that didn't happen, I'd be better right now. If he didn't, then I'd be okay. I'm looking at what it takes me to just carry on and live. And if that didn't happen... I'd be better, I'd be farther, it'd be better for all of us. We've got to remember that healing takes time. We've got to remember and be gracious with ourselves. And when we realize that it doesn't have to be better tomorrow, it can just be a little bit better tomorrow. It doesn't have to be fixed by the end of the month because that's not the way our emotions work, all of a sudden we have space. That space is where healing happens. Three, you need boundaries. You need boundaries. 
There's an amazing book by Dr. Henry Cloud about boundaries. And I will tell you, I got, don't tell him I'm telling you this because this is like, this is the whole book in one sentence. If you go to the next one, here's how you do boundaries. If you continue to blank, you can, but I have a boundary. And so when you continue, I'm going to have to blank. I'm telling you, when I explain this, you're going to wish you took a picture of it. It's going to be up here for just a moment. When you continue to give bad advice to my children, you can. But I have a boundary. So when you continue, we can't come over here for the holidays. Oh, this will mess up your marriage because it works so well. Britt and I, we fight. We're intense. It's, I mean, God just watches and eats his popcorn. It's like, they'll get it one day. We, we fight. And then we read this book, and so we started hitting each other. Why you do that? It's so wrong with you. That's a problem because you never get it. And why would you ever? And I go, oh, hey, 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 that's fine. Hey, if you want to continue to yell, you can. But I have a boundary. And so when you do, I got to go. Oh, it's so agitating because it works so well. And I'll be all steamed about something, and it's all my fault, and I want to blame it on her because doesn't it feel good to blame your problems on somebody? And I was like, this is all your fault because if you would have moved this, I wouldn't have tripped on it because I didn't never mind the fact that I didn't want to turn the lights on. This is your fault. Why would you do this? She goes, hey, 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 this is good. If you want to blame me, you can. But I have a boundary, and so I'm going for a drive. Like, you can stay here and yell as much as you want. But I got to go. This will change your life. Because here's, going back to, you don't see, we're going to see in a minute, when you have brokenness in a fallen world, you have to endure it. But when somebody's causing you real harm and it's not what Jesus would have, you don't have to endure that. You need boundaries so you can move on into everything Jesus has called you to. Give me a thumbs up, I'll get the last one. Band, you guys can come on up, we'll get it going. How do we deal with a broken and fallen world? Three things, grit, godliness, and vision. You need grit. You need to be able to stand firm in a world that wants to knock you down. One of my favorite Jesus phrases is in that, in this world you'll have trouble verse. John 16, you know that in this world you'll have trouble. We talked about that. Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The word there is tharseo. If I, I'm not a big tattoo person or Bible verse crossing my arm, but if I got one, that's it. Hands down. This is a phrase Jesus was known for saying. You got anybody in your life and they have a few catchphrases and when they leave the room, you, all, you do his catchphrases or her catchphrases. And it's a thing. Isn't it cool that our Savior was always saying, take heart? And tharseo means to stand. It means to lean into your faith. It means to stare down the pain and problems in the world. It means I'm not going to run from this. I'm not going to medicate and hide from this. I am going to stand. I'm going to lean into what this world demands of me by the power of God. I know who Jesus is. I remember that the tomb is empty and I will therefore stand in the face of this and not run from it anymore. That's grit. That's, that's godly grit in Jesus' name leaning into his power and saying, I'm not going to be bullied by the world around me. Two, you need godliness. You need godliness because in Philippians, this is our passage. Did you see the verse? It says, whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? See, when I'm wronged and I feel pain and I experience hardship, I keep score. And I have this scale in my mind and, hey, some bad things have happened to me and then I use that as license to go and do whatever I want. I'm going to treat myself a little. I'm going to indulge my sinful desires because, heck, I deserve it. God sees what I'm going through. He, surely this is excusable. I'm going to medicate. I'm going to avoid. I'm just going to lean into all my dysfunctional tendencies because this isn't fair. But what does that do to your pain and suffering? It multiplies it. We think we're getting a break. We think we're getting some peace or some rest. And while we feel that way, the pain and the problems multiply. So the word says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens... Whatever happens, respond in a godly manner. Because that's what stares down the evil in this world. That's what creates a safe, bright new future for the children who are coming up behind you. It's godliness. Finally, you need a vision. You need a vision because when things go wrong and they hurt and you're upset, they tend to take over and make you feel like the pain is all there is and all there's ever going to be. But God hand wrote you a promise and said, don't get tired of doing good because at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's literally a promise from God to you that if you're willing to keep doing the next right thing, a day will come where it's all worth it. And so we're going to finish today by leaning into that idea together. You guys could stand. We'll sing one last song together. If you're not a singer, I would invite you to take in these words because they're so powerful. And I would invite you to take in these words realizing they're representative of a God on the other side of them who's passionately committed to seeing you through. Let's join one another.